Why is it we humans get romanced by complexity when the answers can be found at a simple and practical level? This is the Simply Practically Human podcast, where the human manager, Mark Labasque, features experts who have a track record in humanizing workplaces, using simplicity and practicality as their go-to approach. It's all about getting back to what it is to be human and watch workplaces thrive rather than just survive. Hey there, it's Mark Labusk for the Simply Practically Human podcast. And today I was joined by smartphone video evangelist and constant unlearner and reinventor, Julian Mather, who's also a conference speaker and virtual presenter based in Brisbane, Australia. And we really got into the topic of how you can unlearn and how you can reinvent yourself. And this can have to do with careers. And, you know, Julian's got an amazing story from being an army sniper to being a, a children's magician and then a whole lot of other things in between that. And today he shares like some super simple and practical tools and tips for anybody who at the moment, and I know there's a lot of people out there who are thinking about what's next for me. You know, I've got this idea, I've got this passion, I've had it for a long time. I've just never really embraced it because I had an identity that said I was this particular thing, this particular title, this particular job. And and, and today Julian's going to just bust a whole lot of myths around why getting caught in the victimhood is not a good thing. He'll also talk a little bit about embracing the beginner in yourself and going back to, if we're going to unlearn, we've got to relearn as well. And uh, it's just so many absolute gems that we're going to get today. One of the things that really strikes me with Julian is, is his authenticity and his preparedness to put it out there. The stories he shares today from his time working at the ABC and going overseas and, and doing a lot of photography and filming and documentaries will just blow you away. Um, from meeting people on death row to a, a very interesting story about comparison that turned out to have some tragic consequences for some people that he'd met. So sit back have that patent paper there, take yourself some notes and enjoy this episode of the Simply Practically Human podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Julian Mather, who is the smartphone video evangelist, conference speaker, virtual presenter, and I'm also going to say a, a constant reinventor of his uh, career. Julian, thanks for joining me. Hey, I am in the right place because I am a simple, practical human. That about sums me up. <laughs> Mate, I love that because the reason that I've been following you for some time now on LinkedIn, but you'd commented on something I posted up not long back, and it's just this whole idea of being able to reinvent and unlearn and, and, and how, and I'm going to say how you really simply just projected that through what you'd written, I thought i got to get this guy onto my podcast and uh, and get him to share his wisdom with the world. So thanks for coming on. Let's start out with just a bit about your, your backstory, if you wouldn't mind, just where you grew up and what influenced you early and how you've sort of got to where you are today. Yeah, well, listen, I'm a Brisbane boy, born and bred. I've moved away a few times, but essentially always come back here. Look, I'll just give you the thumbnail sketch of this arc that I've, I've been on because, look, I did really well at school, if you don't count learning. <laughs> and yeah, and uh, you know, it launched me into my first career, which was probably as big a surprise to me as as to anybody. 
was I ended up being an army sniper. Wow. So I did that for about three years, but the view looking through that narrow lens was not the view of the world that I wanted. I wanted a wider view, so I went for a wider angle lens and I ducked and dived and weaved and got to do what I wanted to do, which was be a photojournalist. And so for 25 years, I worked as a documentary cameraman for ABC TV and National Geographic and BBC and Discovery. I went to amazing places, but more than that, I met amazing people. And these people influenced my thinking so much so that at the top of my game in TV, I got an idea into my head that I could change the world. So I walked away from television at the top of my game took this program out into the world that I thought was going to make amazing differences in the world, but it was a commercial failure. And I couldn't get anybody to book it, so my TV career had sailed off into the distance and I had to reinvent myself. Now, what do you think? What do you think the natural career progression is from army sniper to documentary cameraman to magician? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) And so I ended up being a professional magician for five years. I learned a lot, but it wasn't satisfying my need to affect change in the world, which I had got from those, all those people who had influenced me in front of the camera. And I took a program into schools to teach simple magic tricks to kids. Long story short, I ended up putting videos on YouTube that became popular and I became an unwitting, at the time, minor YouTube personality. Had a successful YouTube channel, still up there. It's got 30 million views and 140,000 subscribers. And it gave me a voice in the world of magic, which I didn't really think I was entitled to, but I ran with it. And I ended up creating the world's first online training academy for professional children's entertainers, where we took people all around the world who were stuck, who had this desire to be a professional entertainer but didn't know how. We taught them the skills, but underneath we taught them the life changing and the mindset changes they needed to undertake. And they became sometime part-time and full-time professional entertainers. I sold that business and then I went into what I call my fertile void. So this was a couple of years of me trying to work out what was next, what was the next reinvention. And finally, I've broken out of that and I've gone back to what I did and what I really know, which is video. And so I'm out there now as a smartphone video evangelist, showing businesses how they can use a smartphone to earn more money. Fantastic. So that's amazing. What a journey there from <laughs> Sniper. <laughs> it was funny because I, I had done the research and I, the magician thing was there, but I, until you said it, I was like, yep, shit, that's right. He was a magician <laughs> as well. It was interesting as you, one of the things you said was like, I got to certain points and it wasn't quite fulfilling me or it wasn't, I wasn't quite heading where I wanted to head. How do you know that? How do you know at that point in time that it's not quite what you're here to do? What's the feeling or what happens in that moment? When you're thinking about something else all the time, it's not it's not rocket science. You know, you know, we 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 all know it when you know our head becomes filled with thoughts of ideas, or we find ourselves reading a lot about something or watching videos a lot about something, or us just thinking about something a lot. I mean, you know, it's just a great indicator. Wow, there's an interest. And then I've always been, well, if that is gnawing away at me, well, then that's a signal that I've got to at least investigate this. And so, I mean, the first point of if you want to change is you've got to own up. 
And you've got to own up and say it's your responsibility because it's so easy to look at our personal circumstances and go, well, yeah, but you don't understand. My situation is different. You know, I've got kids like this or I've got a job that says I have to do this or I've got house payments. Hey, we have all got a set of circumstances around us, but no one can force you to change. You know, you know, you can lie limp on the ground and no one can make you move unless you really want to move. They can drag you somewhere. So until you have said, I'm responsible for any change that's going to happen in, in my life, and this is not going to be an immediate. I mean, you might want to change, but this might take you 20 years to do. But it starts with you owning up because as long as you blame somebody else, you have disempowered yourself. Because if you blame someone else, you're saying to somebody else, you have the authority and the power over me, which means I'm powers, powerless. It's almost like kryptonite to Superman. So first thing is owning up. that Nothing is going to happen until you just go, right, this is up to me. And then the second thing is you've got to wise up. And what I mean by that is that if you want to play a new game, you can't win the new game playing by the old rules. And so much of what we go through in life is these assumptions that we've got into our heads. And I mean, assumptions are useful because so much happens in our life and we need shortcuts. You know, assumptions are essentially shortcuts. So we don't have to think through something all the time. But when you actually stop and question a lot of the assumptions you make, you find out they're wrong yeah. and they're not serving you. So you've got to learn, and, and that's where this unlearning comes in. A lot of it is going, what is not working for me? And now I've got to put in new systems and new thinking to replace that. Once you've done all this, the third thing you've got to do is you've got to step up. It's actually decision time. And, and, you know, this is really important because for years I thought change was a process. And then I finally worked out when I was a documentary cameraman, I ended up visiting a prisoner on death row in the United States. His name was Jimmy Diffuse Filiaggi. And Diffuse is uh, the nickname because he had a short fuse, a really bad anger problem. And if you poked him in the chest and got into a fight with him, that was it. It was all over Red Rover. He had this string of aggravated assaults behind him. He got into a fight with his wife, Lisa, put a gun to her head and pulled the trigger. He was charged with murder and he ended up on death row. He, his case was famous, which is why I was over in the United States covering it. And we ended up going into death row and death row is a prison within a prison within a prison. And it's really hard to get in there. We only had one hour with them. So I thought I'm going to make the most of this. So as they were going to take him away at the end of the hour, I thought, well, you know, you don't get face to face with someone on death row that often. So I just said, Jimmy, listen, my life is obviously completely different to yours, but what can you tell me? Tell me one thing as you're going out. He went, yeah, okay. Now he's a big guy. He's about six foot three. And he was shackled from his ankles to his waist, from his waist to his wrist. And he said, come close. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> so a really big guy. And he said, now lean forward. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> so I started to lean forward. And as I was leaning forward, I heard snap because his wrists were shackled with a chain to his waist on a short chain. And as the chain went tight, it went snap. And he said, keep going lower. And I kept on bending forward, my head going down. And then he put his fingers out and his hands were chained. So his wrists were only eight inches apart. And then he put his index fingers out and he put his index fingers on the sides of my temples and tapped. And he said, eight inches. 
He said, that's how far away you are from the best or the worst decision of your life. Yeah. And I didn't really think much about it at the time, and it took me quite a few years to process this. But that's when I started to think all about this, and that's what I thought, that's what change is. You can think change is a process, but quite often you don't change because you just keep going round and around in a circle. You're sincere about change, but you really haven't made the decision to change. And when you do that, you know it. And I tell you, when I left television to go out into the world and take my program into the world, I know the moment I changed. I was sitting on my kitchen bench and I made that decision, you know, deep within me and I cried. Yeah. I cried and cried and cried. And what I was actually doing was mourning the life that, I, you know, being a cameraman, a documentary cameraman was my identity. And I was saying, you have to let that go now. And that's what I mean. When you make that point of decision, this change naturally flows after that. You don't have to think about it. <laughs> it's on. It's game on at this point. You've just shared so many great things here. I love the simplicity of you just, you know, you know this time and then it's about own up, wise up, step up. And then this last thing you just said then, which I'm, I'm fascinated by, is how hard it is to change and unlearn because we are so caught up with our identity that we've created for ourselves. This, I was in corporate for 20 years and I was successful, I'll say, because I could sell things and I could do wonderful things and I got known for something and then... I remember my moment, I was at Harvard University in 2014 and I was going through a process called immunity to change, which literally leaves you in the corner of the room sucking your thumb in the fetal position because you have to unpack shit that you don't want to. And and I remember turning to my the person I was working with at the time and said to her, I've got to leave. And she's like, what? Leave what? I said, my career. And that was the moment where I went, that's it. And you know how you said before that... You start to read other stuff. You start to sort of wander off into a different direction. What I worked out, I'd, I'd been wandering off in a different direction for about five years. But I think I was also playing the victim really well at that stage instead of the victor and going, it's all happening to me and it's being done by other people and I can't move on. I can't unlearn. I can't unhear. I can't unsee shit. And Mate, you just you triggered something very nicely in me there. So let's talk a bit about this identity and how do you unlearn? How, how do you, if there's someone listening to this, which I'm sure who's going, I'm in a career crisis right now, I want to move on, what do they need to unlearn? Well, I think the biggest start is that we're all afraid to be a beginner again. It's like it's something that we go through school and we go through whatever education we do and we go through an apprenticeship in our early years in our job and we go, oh, thank goodness, finally that beginner stage of my life is past me. And we do anything we can to protect our status so we don't have to slip back down to that beginner position. And I think that that's the biggest hurdle. It's almost like a ball and chain that's holding you back. I've actually learned that embracing the beginner mindset to me is what propels me forward. And I've come to learn something about myself, and that is that my love of learning is greater than my ego. And what I mean by that is that we all hang on to the status. We spend, you know, we're climbing the greasy pole up the ladder. We don't want to do anything that is going to threaten our position that we have worked so hard to achieve. 
But the problem with that is that when that is holding you back. And once I realized that I actually get a joy from trying something new. And, you know, I fail. I fail at a whole, you know, everything I've told you there, they're just the things I've sort of pretty much succeeded at. They're not the things I failed at. I go through lots of failures, but I love that feeling of, of learning. And to me, that is more important than my status. I'm willing to trade that love of learning for going back to ground zero, to square one and starting all over again. And so just being willing to embrace a beginner mindset again. And I found, you know, it's quite counter. It's because I found more people when they find out you're willing to do that are in a sense, I'm not saying impressed with you or impressed with me, but I think it's so unusual that it stops people and they go, oh, you know, I actually hadn't even really thought of that. And I found that what is success? This is important because you have to work out what your metric of success is. And if your metric of success is money or maybe it's fame or it's got to work out, you know, is it academic status? Is it whatever? But unless you work that out, every time that you try to change, if you're not clear on what your metric is, if you're working by somebody else's or a society standard, you're going to feel like you failed. And when I worked out that my metric of success was lack of regret, truly is. I go to my grave, hand in my heart, going, apart from a few things that I've said to people where I should have just shut my mouth and not been so hurtful, I don't regret. I have no regrets. I don't regret anything I've done. They've all been part of my, my learning journey. And once I've established that, when I go into a room full of people now, maybe all, you know, in bigger positions and shinier suits and better cars than me and all that, I actually feel like the richest person in, in the room because I'm very clear on how I measure success. It's such an interesting point because the system that we're brought up in, I like this idea of being afraid to be a beginner because I remember I started my career as an afternoon shift loader and driver with a logistics company. And, you know, you could you got good at that, so then you weren't a beginner. Then they promote you into customer service, they promote you into sales, and, and all of this stuff is what they're doing for you and what you're doing for yourself to become, I'm going to say, technically good at what you do. But technically good gets you to a certain point, and then human beings become involved. And I love what you just said then, because back in the corporate world, I'd walk into the room and I would be intimidated by the better suit and the bigger title and the more years of service. But in this world that we're both in today, very much like you, it's like you walk into the room and you go, they're just human beings in the room and they've all got shit going on. They fail like I've failed. They have identity crises like I've had, all this sort of stuff. How do you help people to get away from the intimidation of identity, title, career, and then move into this space where they can walk into a room and just go, I deserve to be here because I'm just a decent human being. What, what, how do they change from that? What are your thoughts there? The biggest takeaway from my 25 years of literally traveling the world, having a ringside view of life and, and meeting so many successful people, again, by, by many, many metrics, it could have been in government, it could have been in sports, it could have been in education, could have been in just general life. But the one thing that I found above all that was common to all of these people was extraordinary people 
are ordinary people who do extra. What I mean by that is that we would go and film with these people and we say, oh, can we come and film with you on, you know, early, you know Monday morning? And they, they said, well, you've got to be early Monday morning because like at 5 a.m. I'm out running. Well, what about Tuesday morning? Oh, well, I'm doing something on Tuesday morning. You know, I go and volunteer at this. Well, what about Wednesday night? Oh, well, I do a course on Wednesday night. And this was common that all these successful people, I'll tell you what they weren't doing. They weren't watching TV. Yep. They didn't know who was, you know, up on the, the other charts and Big Brother or anything like that. But why this was the biggest insight for me, it, it literally liberated me, this, because if you are going to be extraordinary, you have to be ordinary to begin with. Yep. And your honour <laughs> Exhibit A, the world's <laughs> most ordinary person. I don't have any particular strengths or skills that I could particularly highlight, but what I am willing to do is stick in there and just do extra. And this leads me on to you asking, you know, how do people change and stuff? The first thing that you've got to truly accept, if you are sitting there thinking you want change in your life, you want to do something different, it's not going to happen in 21 days. Like you see so many, you know, here's how to change in 21 days or six months or three months to change. No, everything I do, I work in five-year blocks. So the first thing you've got to accept that this is going to take a longer amount of time. And it's what I call my 1825 rule. It's very, very simple. All I work out is I have to do one thing a day, one small thing a day, 365 days a year for five years. That's 1,825 small changes. I always think of it like, you know, in the cinema, in the old movie projectors with a roll of film and the roll of film comes off and goes through the gate of the movie projector and it goes onto another reel at the bottom. And if you look at each frame on that movie film, 25 frames a second, each frame is just a little bit different than the one before it and a little bit different than the one after it. And it's just incremental change. And that role of film is a story. And I always think it's like that's your story and it's got to start and there's a whole lot of these imperceptible little changes that you have to do. And this comes back to the unlearning because a lot about change is not who you're changing into, it's who you're becoming less like. If you're becoming less like your old self, you're changing. Here's an interesting piece around this. I, I talk to people about, uh, I have a saying that comparison corrodes confidence. So there's this willingness to change and then we walk into a room because we're a bloody sense-making species who's always looking for who's in the room or what, who am I like. How do you deal with getting out of that comparing yourself to others? What do you do there? Oh, wow. Look, I've got a long story on that. I don't think it's going to fit in here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so I call it bitter or better is that I've worked out that if I continually compare myself to other people, I'm going to become bitter. But if I compare myself to myself, what I did yesterday, what I did last week, what I did last year, then I've got a chance of becoming better. And so Comparison is useful, but it's self-referential comparison. And oh, I keep going back to wanting to tell you the story, but it's <laughs> give us what you can, mate. Go on, give a go. So I found myself going to go and hop on a plane to go to Indonesia. And you know, when uh, if you're going to fly, you can go economy, you can go business class, you can go first class, 
or you can go to the Prime Minister's Jet, which I was hopping on to. So I was going with Alexander Downer. This was about 10 years ago when he was the Foreign Minister of Australia. And we're going to Indonesia. He was doing a three-day visit with the President of Indonesia, Susulu Bangbang Yudiono. And when you go over on these government flights, you don't know who you're going with. You don't even know you're going until 10 o'clock the night before. Yep. So I ended up sitting down the back, they reserved a couple of seats for the media, with a journalist from the Sydney Morning Herald called Cynthia. Bannum. Now, I didn't know Cynthia, so I got into small talk. What do you do with your life, Cynthia, when you're not doing journalism? She said, I love to run. <gasps> oh, I love to run too, but I've stopped now because my knees have given out. I've run for 30 years. And I said, what sort of running do you like? She said, oh, look, I'm getting into marathon running. <gasps> That's what I like doing too. And I thought to myself, you're so lucky. I didn't say it to her, but I was in a bit of a slump where I was comparing myself to people yeah. all the time. So we got to Indonesia and I worked with another journalist over there on the ground and his name was Morgan Mellish. He worked for the Australian Financial Review. Now, Morgan was a younger guy, he was about six foot two, he was about a pick handle wide across the shoulder, tapered to a tiny waist. He was a surfer, he was a foreign correspondent and he was at a really nice personality as well. And when I stood next to him, I just felt like the old sack of potatoes. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, you're so lucky. Look at you, look at your career and your future. Didn't say it to him, it's just what I thought. Anyway, we uh, finished the trip and as you're going to go back home, you don't know whether you're going back on the government jet or not. So 10 o'clock the night before we're going to leave, I get the call, yes, I'm back on the government jet, which meant that Cynthia and Morgan had to get up at 4 a.m., battle the Jakarta traffic, get to Jakarta International, battle the queues there, get on a Garuda flight where I got to get up at 7 a.m., get a leisurely breakfast and go and hop into my police motorcade that took me through the Jakarta traffic like Moses parting the Red Sea, <laughs> got to the government air wing about 8 o'clock, sipping my first iced tea, and there was a little TV monitor sitting up in the corner, a little TV set, and the news started to come through that a plane had overshot the runway in Jog Jakarta where we were going to stop for half an hour on our way back to Australia. As the news came through, we realised it was a bad crash. It was a Garuda flight where 22 people had been killed. And Morgan Mellish, who's, uh, you know, boyish good looks in his career that, you know, I felt so envious of. Well, Morgan came back to Australia in a coffin. Oh, goodness. And Cynthia Bannum came back about six or eight weeks later and she had burns to 65, 70% of her body. And that running career that I had coveted so much, well, that was over because she had both legs amputated. Mm. And me, I now get to share this story with people like you, Mark, and, and your listeners and just point to the fact that comparison is a fruitless, pointless game to go down. And this is where it comes back to I worked out over time this bitter or better idea that I, I have. And I live this now. So you know when I said I went on to be uh, had a YouTube channel that did well? I'll tell you one of the things that made that successful was when I went on to there, I mean, I was in my late 40s and YouTube, this is sort of like, you know, uh, seven, 10 years ago, was full of all these young kids yeah. and they were doing all this finger flinging magic. And I thought, I was looking at them thinking there's no way I can compete with them and it was getting me down. So I made a decision that I was not going to watch any magic YouTube channel 
And so I didn't look at any. And as I created my channel, I thought, I'm just going to do it my way. I'm just going to be this daggy old 40-something-year-old getting up there doing these tricks with stuff you can make from around the house and show people a little presentation with it. And that was the success because people came to me and said, it's different. (laughs) You're not like everyone else on there. And that's what we like. First of all, thank you for sharing that other story. That I'm so glad that we were able to pick that up. That idea of look at them, look at them, and then something happens and it's like, shit, there's some reality to that. This thing you just talked about then of being different, I reckon this is the scourge of people, particularly those like I was who wanted to leave corporate to then go off and do something else. It's like I used to get told I didn't fit in and that I was different, and I used to think, oh, shit, I better fit in then. But now it's like fuck it, I don't fit in now and people tell me I'm different and my mindset's totally changed on that. And what you just said then I think will resonate again with those that are listening to go, if you don't fit in at the moment and you feel a bit different, don't fight that, embrace it. What would you say about when people are feeling different? What's your advice to them? So I would say key into what the world is wanting now. The world is screaming out for truth and authenticity. Yep. And here's the great thing. So we just like you're saying, Mark, we spend all this time trying to be somebody else when we have been gifted with this unique personality. And you might go, you go, yeah, but my personality is boring. No, it's not. It is unique and it's different. And you've got to understand this, that, I guarantee that there are people listening to me now who are going, oh, yeah, Julian resonates with me. But there are also people who are going, I can't stand how this guy sounds. Can't stand it. And that is always going to be the case. So there are going to be people who will resonate with the way that you do your business. Whatever it is that you want to change into, there are people who are out there waiting for you. And when you hold back within yourself and you go, no, I don't have it, the imposter syndrome, all these other things, you might be denying, just think about this, you might be denying the one person who really needs your help and who you could really help and would resonate with. Yeah, I love it. I'd like to, Julian, talk about the three Ds, disciples, doubters and detractors, and we should have them all in our lives. And I think one of the things that we tend to try and do is to find all the people that that love us. I, I love being down the other end of that at times and have the people that say, you know, your human shit that you do, Mark, it's all kumbaya and sitting around the fireplace and hugging each other. And I go, I need to hear that as well, because you talked about ego before. Your ego can get hold of you if you're just hanging around people that think you're wonderful. So doubters who can maybe come your way a bit and detractors who I think at times give you a bit of a touch of reality that you need all help in this process of of unlearning. Simplicity and complexity. You said this very early. It's just so simple. Things are just so simple, but we tend to get caught up in the complex. Why do we get romanced towards the flame of complexity. Some of the things you've said today, are, are, and, and this is a disrespectful, I love it, is just simple common sense. You haven't shared with me a, some sort of amazing theoretical model that you've found somewhere. It's just like own up, wise up, step up, da 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 Why are we getting caught up in complexity? I don't know. I don't know why we're getting up. I just know why I like to do things simple. And this is one of the things I learned of being an army sniper. One of the things that we learned was simplicity equals reliability, which equals a greater chance of success. 
So simplicity equals reliability equals a greater chance of success. And I just thought, wow, <laughs> that's for me. I'd rather be more successful in, in whatever I do. So this idea of simplicity has infused everything I've done to this point. I love it. I don't know why we want to go for the things that, that are more complex. And I guess when you live in that space of simple is better, that, you, you know, you don't have to cross across into that sort of complexity that goes on. Hey, um, the latest phase, the thing that I that you said about the smartphone video evangelist, I've got the latest smartphone, which I use to about 2% of its capacity. And I, I you do some amazing little videos. I've seen them on LinkedIn and they're really, really clever about how you show some simple tips. Talk a bit about how that's helping people to, to be better. So it goes back to what we were talking about before, about the world is screaming out for authenticity and truth. So if you're in business and you know that you're going to need to use video, which, by the way, you're all going to need to use video, and here's the simple reason why we're addicted to the convenience of smartphones, take a look at your fingers. They're big and fat. Take a look at text on a smartphone. It's small and fiddly. We all know how inconvenient it is to use text on a smartphone. So we're evolving a new way to communicate on these devices that we're addicted to, and that's video. So video is coming for business. But the problem is when people think about making video for business, and this gets to um, learn, unlearn, and relearn, what do we do? Most businesses default to this 20th century idea of making video, which is going to outsource. Oh, I don't know how to make video. Let's outsource. Now, there's always going to be a time and place you need to outsource, but the volume of video that we're all going to need to use within our business is increasing. And unless you've got a huge budget and a lot of time to do this, outsourcing isn't going to cut it for all your business video needs. So you need an alternative. And right now in your hand, you have this pocket-sized TV station. You have the Swiss Army knife of business tools. I call it an anti-invisibility device for your business. It's an amazingly powerful video tool that lets you broadcast your ideas to the world. If you have a phone, that's within about four or five years old, the lens on it is now better than the Hubble Space Telescope. Like the technology on these, you don't even have to question it. It's the future video. But we're not using it. And the reason we're not using it in the way that we're going to have to use it, which is being on video ourselves and just talking to our customer and client and going, yeah, yeah, I hear you. I can help you. But we don't like doing that because we don't like being on video. And it comes back to what we were talking about before. One of the biggest fears is it's going to damage our status because we're out there pretending to be who we are out in our business world. But when we put ourselves on video, most of us aren't very good at being on video because we've never done it. We don't want to go back to that beginner mindset. So what do we do? We put it on the back burner. And this is just coming to a point, and I don't know when the point is going to be, Mark, but everyone's going to go, and be scrambling. We've got to do video now. So that's what I'm out there. I'm uh, helping businesses already, but positioning myself to be the go-to person <laughs> when this rush happens. I love it. I think um, that's getting ahead of the time. And th th those videos, and I encourage people to check you out, the videos that I've watched, because that, that I'm not so fussed about being on camera anymore, but early days, it was just like shitting myself and, and just thinking, wonder what people will think of me and do I look like I should look and have I got the right... Uh, my, my early consultant photos with my beautiful white shirt on and my beautiful sports jacket, no more. I don't have those things anymore, but it felt like I had to turn up in a way that 
people would, would accept me. That is a critical point that stops people using their smartphone for business because they get on and they go, yeah, I'm worried what people are going to think of me. Now, here's the reality. The reality is that that is a very conceited point of view that you have because the truth is people don't look at you and then watch your video and then be thinking about you for the rest of the day and tomorrow and next week. People forget about you as soon as they've watched you because important things in life take over. You know, got to go and pick up the kids. What am I going to buy from the shops? They're the important things in people's lives. Yep. You're not as important as you think. And I had to go through that myself. I was, you know, when I was back in those magician days, I was terrified of going on stage because I thought, what are people going to say if I mess up? The truth was nobody was going to say anything because they simply were not thinking about me. Oh, I love that. Such a, a great lesson for me, that conceited bit. So now tell us, just to finish up, where can people find you? Where, how, do we, how do they connect? Where do they find out about what you're offering now? What's the best thing to do? Pretty much the one-stop shop is julianmather.com, J-U-L-I-A-N-M-A-T-H-E-R.com. When you're there, if you're interested in a smartphone video, go to the top of the page. I've got a free 35-minute masterclass. It'll be your guide. It'll be your North Star. It'll just show you where video is going and the ways that you can use it. So go jump in and take that. Thank you. Julian, thanks for coming on. It's, I know it was at pretty short notice. As I said, you'd, I'd seen your comments on that post I put in LinkedIn. Mate, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I love your ability just to put it out there and keep things absolutely simple. And uh, I look forward to being in touch because I need some help on some of this video stuff. Mate, as a 53-year-old technophobe. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, that was just an incredible 30-odd minutes of talking to a very unique human being, somebody who embraces this idea of being better before being bitter. This whole idea of owning up to change, wising up and stepping up and getting over this idea about this identity that you've built and breaking that down in order for you to unlearn and reinvent yourself. And as I said before the podcast started, there'd be a lot of people, I'm sure, listening to this who are right at that stage of saying, I'm in this fertile void, as Julian calls it, and what's coming next? What is going to be next for me? You know, some of the things he talked about there, what is success? What does success mean for you? Embrace the beginner. And this other idea of this greasy pole that we get caught on. And I, you know, I would like to add to that to say that Many of us are on the greasy pole of technical competence and we're climbing this slippery pole to get better technically at what people want us to do and what we're not really embracing is stepping back to becoming a beginner again and maybe heading down a different pathway. Hey, if you like this episode, why not rate it five stars and if you loved it, share it with your friends. And until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical and keep it human. Bye for now.